since moving to Decatur, Beth and I have discovered that Halloween is a big deal. This is new for us, and so uh, we thought it would be worthwhile to explore for a moment the real meaning of Halloween. So what do you think? We've got a brief quiz this morning, and you'll have just a brief time to respond to the multiple choice questions set before you. The real meaning of Halloween is it, A, in the southern United States, the final holiday of the year to enjoy live plants as a part of the decorations, or B, a pagan effort to scare away evil spirits, or perhaps C, an effort of the church to Christianize a pagan holiday and prepare for All Saints Day, or could it be a modern-day marketing technique for stores to sell more stuff? That's D, and then E is all of the above. Just take about 15 seconds and give us your answer. Be thinking hard. Is it A, B, C, D, or E? Daniel Solberg, ladies and gentlemen. We need him to keep practicing. So which is it? Uh, Many of us feel that it's D, but in fact, it's actually E, all the above. Halloween is a fascinating combination of all this stuff that has been, frankly, exacerbated by D, stores manipulating you and me to buy more stuff. And it's working. So that is Halloween. Here we are in this time of year. We're now going to focus differently and move to our passage for today, the 10th chapter of the Gospel Mark. In verse 46, the very first thing we hear is the location of this story, which actually is quite significant. It takes place, this 46th verse says, in Jericho, the oldest consistently occupied city in the world. 9,000 BC, 11,000 years ago, Jericho was first inhabited. This location was chosen because it's strategic from a trade standpoint, but it's also, as you can see sort of from this slide, it is gorgeous. It's also located near the Dead Sea, which today is a result in a resort. In those days, it was also a very important place for a lot of things. It's just up the river a little bit from the Dead Sea. You can see here, I'm actually in this group. We're doing water aerobics. The amazing thing about the Dead Sea, it has, unlike the regular ocean, which has 3% salt or salinity, the Dead Sea has 30% salinity, which means you can literally not sink. And what we do after doing water aerobics is people passed us out in newspapers You remember what newspapers are, those things that used to have news in them. And we actually are reading newspapers lying on top of five feet of water. An amazing place, the Dead Sea. Just down from Jericho, this amazing city filled with flowers and beauty. The soil is rich. Springs bubble up 
from the ground. In the middle, though it's desert surrounding, it is absolutely luxurious and gorgeous year-round. Tropical fruit, tropical trees, every kind of produce, vegetable, or fruit you can possibly imagine sold. Now, you may notice, too, there are large trees, especially this one particular tree that you see in front of you. Some of you might remember a story associated with this tree the Palestinian people like to tell us, and this is Jericho is in Palestine, and the Palestinian Christians and Muslims say this tree has significance because it is a sycamore tree. In the 19th chapter of Luke, we hear about a story, another story that takes place in Jericho involving a fellow who climbs a tree in order to see Jesus. Anybody remember who that is? Zacchaeus, a wee little man climbing a tree to see Jesus. And tradition holds that this is the tree. In fact, to the left of the tree, you see in the ground, there's a little plaque that says the Zacchaeus tree. 2,200 years old, the very tree that Zacchaeus climbed. Well, we don't know. It sells a lot of trinkets and tourist stuff. Some say it actually could be the daughter or the granddaughter tree of the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. Nevertheless, it's in this spot. And you notice around that tree, much like the area of Jericho that surrounds this, it's a marketplace. Very busy, lots of noise and things going on, people gathering, and there are fruit stands and produce stands, like the one in the next slide, where I imagine Bartimaeus sitting. There is a group of people following Jesus. They're moving through Jericho, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. The crowd is fairly large, and they're focused on Jesus. But if you listen to the story, this man, Bartimaeus, begins calling out. Now, there's a significance, too, just in the way the story unfolds. The first verse of this passage gives us the place, Jericho. The second verse of this passage, verse 47, tells us this man's name. Now, why this is important in the Gospel of Mark is after 10 chapters, and we're at the very end of the 10th chapter, this is the first time in this whole first two-thirds of the Gospel of Mark that anyone Jesus interacts with, besides the disciples, is given a name. Everybody else is just a man or a woman or a person passing by, or someone asks Jesus a question, or the scribes or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. They're all unnamed people until Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. This is very important, and it's one of those moments in the way the gospel writers present the material that is sort of a, a flag waving to us, telling us to pay attention. Something is going on here. Bartimaeus, son of of Timaeus. In other words, this man in Jericho sitting by the side of the road asking for help used to be somebody. He's the son of someone important. Bartimaeus, it means son of Timaeus. And yet, in Jericho, 
in front of a fruit stand, calling out for help to Jesus. And what does the crowd do? They're following Jesus. These are Jesus' followers. And their response to Bartimaeus is significant. The way it's worded is, many in the crowd tell him to be quiet. Jesus is busy. He's got stuff to do. He's giving attention to us. We're with Jesus, not you. You are a nobody. Maybe you used to be somebody. But now, Jesus doesn't have time for you. Sometimes the psychology of crowds is affected by the loudest voices in the crowd. And sometimes the loudest voices in the crowd also are the angriest and most unhappy. And the whole crowd psychology is shifting on the loudness of these voices that are calling out. This guy doesn't matter. Maybe he's got a name, but he's not important to us. Jesus has better things to do until Jesus speaks. Notice what happens now. Bartimaeus is the one communicating with Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When someone calls to you, it just makes sense that you would respond to them. You would think that Jesus would speak directly to Bartimaeus. But Jesus has heard what the crowd has said to the man. And now Jesus doesn't speak to Bartimaeus. Who does he speak to? He speaks to the crowd. In other words, you can look at this as sort of a triangle. It's very interesting. Jesus recognizes what's going on here and the need for a course correction. So Jesus, instead of addressing Bartimaeus, looks to the crowd and he goes, you call him here. And in those three words, a remarkable change happens. There's a literally a transformation in the psychology of the crowd. When people listen to Jesus, incredible things happen. The whole attitude, the spirit of the crowd shifts, literally does a 180 degree turn. The crowd at first condemning, listening to the loudest, angriest voices, now listens to Jesus and listen to what happens. The crowd now says to Bartimaeus, instead of being quiet, the crowd says this really a three-part sermon. Take heart. Get up. Jesus is calling you. It's an unbelievable change. Instead of telling this guy he's a nobody, what is the message? Jesus cares for you. It's an unbelievable immediate transformation in the heart and the spirit and the psychology of this crowd. Now let's take this apart for just a moment and the idea of take heart. The first imperative the crowd gives to this, this man, Bartimaeus, 
In those days, just like in these days, people recognized something. Something happens in us when given particular pieces of information. You're called into an office of someone you don't know that well, and they say, we just want to say to you, thank you for your years of service to our company. Your services are no longer required. Technology now has advanced to the point where uh, you have 24 hours to pack up your things. We appreciate all that you've done for us. By the way, if you'll stay for an extra three weeks, we need for you to train the person that will be replacing you. They're younger and more adept at technology. Thank you very much. Now, the first thing may be your head may feel like it's about to explode, but if you stop for a moment, you'll notice your heart aches because you've just been told you are no longer needed. You are a nobody. All the years that you've given to this place don't matter anymore. Or maybe it was back in high school or college when the voice of a person you cared very much for said, you know, I think I'd really like for us to see other people. And you say, I don't need to see other people. I'm perfectly happy. And they say, well, I'm not. Billy Ray Cyrus wrote a song about this. It's called Achy Breaky Heart. We feel it deep inside. We think sometimes we're about to have a heart attack because it feels like our heart has been ripped out of our chest because we suddenly feel like we don't matter. And people don't care that we don't matter. Which is why this phrase in this brief but powerful sermon the crowd now preaches to Bartimaeus is so incredible and to him now transformative. Take heart. Thank goodness every now and then in congregations like this one, we have good people that help us be heart-filled. To take, in fact, I think we have a picture of a couple of those right now. Bob and Margie, who have helped us have hearts for 28 years. Margie lifting us up not just supporting Bob as one of our ministers, pastors on staff, but Margie herself being a minister to us, a teacher, a person of compassion, giving us wisdom and truth, and Bob guiding us and directing us. And for me personally, helping orient me to this beautiful and, well, somewhat crazy place called Decatur and First Baptist, and what a gift it has been for me just in these brief six months that I've been able to share life and ministry with this good man and this good woman. But for this congregation for 28 years, to be able to take heart and have these two bridge keepers and bridge builders in the good times and the painful, tough, 
tragic times. The calling of folks like Bob and Margie, but folks like you and me, followers of Jesus in the crowd, so easily swayed by voices that can be loud and angry and unhappy, but listen carefully to the voice above the crowd. Jesus, call him here. And they say, take heart. Get up. It's hard to get up when your heart's not right, when you're feeling like the world has just caved in, when you've lost your job or when you're about to lose your job, you can't even have the energy to put together a resume. It's hard to get up on your own. You need a community to lift you up, support you, love you, remind you. Not just that you need to take heart, not that you need to get up, only, but that you get up because Jesus is calling you. Now, this is an amazing thing that the crowd will recognize. This guy who's by the side of the road that previously they have labeled as a nobody, now they're saying, you are a person of incredible significance. Jesus needs you. Jesus is calling you. The transformation is beautiful, crazy, incredible. And so Bartimaeus, in this moment, throws off his cloak. I'm thinking of Daniel with his cloak and the, the uh, Takata. <laughs> he throws off his cloak and he runs to Jesus. And Jesus says this very interesting question. What do you want me to do for you? Now think about this. You're asked by Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? It's sort of an echo of Solomon in the Old Testament when, when God asked, what is it you would like of all the things that you could have? What is it Solomon says? I need wisdom. I need wisdom. Let, let's dangle this question before us for just a moment. What do you want Jesus to do for you? And really, maybe the better way of wording this is, what is it that you really need? What do you really need? Deep down in your spirit, what is it that that most spiritual part of yourself is calling out? I need this. In the case of Bartimaeus, when Jesus asked the question, his response is immediate. My teacher, Rabbi, Rabboni, I want to see again. Now, of course, on one surface reading of this passage, you can see this as the natural physical desire. I want to be able to see again. But over the centuries, recognizing the importance of this passage and the fact that the only time in these 10 chapters somebody is named, scholars and biblical interpreters have looked at this as something more than just a guy by the road. In fact, in this moment, at this question, Bartimaeus now emerges as a representative 
of the church and of you and of me. In those times when our journey, we once were vibrant and excited and doing things that were affiliated with compassion and justice, but somehow we've lost our sight. Our vision has gotten blurred and we start turning in and focusing more on ourselves and what we need here. And Bartimaeus, the question, teacher, I want to see again. The three elements of this are quite important. First of all, this idea, my teacher. We've said before the word disciple, a follower of Jesus, is not somebody who's figured it out. The word literally means learner. It means somebody who's willing to say, I don't know enough now, I won't know enough tomorrow, and all the rest of my life, I must continue to learn. I must be an open vessel really ready to be filled with wisdom and compassion and truth. My teacher, I want to see. I've gotten blurred vision from my own needs and wants and desires. I've been listening too much to the crazy voices around me, the divisive, angry voices that want to tear apart instead of bring together. It's time, Jesus, I see again. Give me Lord, the wisdom, the vision necessary for these difficult and trying yet potentially beautiful days. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well, whole, complete within the realms of purpose and possibility, and the passage ends with these words. And he rose up and followed Jesus on the way. This is our calling, brothers and sisters. Let us take heart. Let us get up. Jesus is calling us to be and to see anew in the incredible grace and power of following Jesus. Amen.